Hello and welcome to the RPG Academy podcast. My name is Michael and we are here tonight for Detention Live with special guest co-host Targris. Before we get to Targris, well, it's fine. We're going to start I'm with sorry. No, no. <laughs> I said it weird. It's my fault. But my regular co-host sitting to my virtual <laughs> left is Chris. Chris, say hello to everyone. Hello, everyone. So Chris has not gotten the green screen that he ordered in, but it's on the way. Yes, it is. So soon he's going to have a cool virtual background like I do, even though mine is horribly sized and you can't really tell what it is. What it's supposed to be is the alt cover of the new Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft. Stand by, I got to ban someone. Because no, I don't want to be famous. If I wanted to be famous, I'd be famous. (laughs) Jackal. Well, hello, Mythical Phoenix. Oh, thank you, Tom, for doing that for me. So anyway, so we're, we're doing a giveaway. 600 followers. We're going to give away this alt cover copy of Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft. It's the newest Watsy hardback. It's actually really, really good. I really enjoy it. And I want to give a shout out to Mumfrey, who's currently in chat, because he was the one who got me the copy that we're going to give away, because I thought I had one locked down. And then my friendly local game store sent me a message like, oh, sorry, we oversold those. You don't get yours. After we'd already announced we were giving a copy away. So uh, thank you very much, Mumphrey, for taking care of that. I really appreciate it. Uh, so now let's get to our special guest co-host, Targris. Targus is a longtime friend of the show, a bit active on Discord, one of my favorite people to chat with. I've had a chance to play in a couple games with Targus. Targus, I think you've got a chance to play in a couple games I've ran. Uh, this is your first time on the show, though, so welcome. Thank you. So for those who don't know you, give us a little bona fides. You're not necessarily the, a podcaster, but you're a long-term nerd and geek, and you play role-playing games. So tell us a little bit about yourself. What? That's really the, the main thing. By day, I'm been a regular university IT guy. Then um, I play way too many RPGs, especially this past year without much else to do, really. Yes. Uh, you ran a game of, was it Swords and Serpents for me? Um, Swords and Serpentine. Uh, sort of, okay, and that's the um, gumshoe, sort of fantasy gumshoe hack. Yes. Uh, you're also a big Which, fan of 13th Age, I understand. Very much so. It's my favorite flavor of D&D. Nice. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that tonight, because I think the monster you pick for Cryptozoology comes from there. Um, anything uh, else you'd like to say before we get started? Not really, no. All right, well, we'll jump into the show. Uh, we got several people who are already hanging out with us. Thank you so much. Tom's here. Uh, Remy's, or Remy, Remy's here. Mumphrey's here. Mystical Phoenix is here. There's a couple other people that haven't jumped in chat. Lurkers are always welcome. Thank you very much for, uh, for hanging out. We appreciate it. Uh, but we're going to start as we like to do here with what we call extracurricular. And this is where we just talk about what we've been up to lately. This could be books we've read, TV shows we're into, movies, CDs, songs, Literally anything you want to share about your life with the strangers on the internet. Uh, Chris, I'll start with you, buddy. What you been up to? Mostly work. Now that I'm fully staffed, getting people trained has been uh, real fun. I'm actually really excited because for once I have a team that doesn't take the concept of, well, this is my job. That's your job. They come on with the attitude of what do we need to do to get through today? It was very confusing for the first few days. And I had to actually ask myself if I was awake. But You're right. Now that I'm getting adjusted to it, it's fun. Other than that, uh, Jupiter's Legacy. I really like that show on Netflix. Uh, It's a good spin on superheroes. If you haven't uh, seen it, check it out. And then just some tabletop simulator with you and a few other people. Yeah. Until things lighten up again. Well, they are lightening up until they continue to lighten up. Not going too many places. 
Though, uh, something I'm going to touch on when it's my turn, I know someplace you're going to go, sort of. It's not really going anywhere, but we'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, Targus, why don't you go next and tell people what you've been up to? Lately, um, RPG-wise, I've been mostly running, um, alternating on Tuesdays, um, Wicked Ones, which is a Forge of the Dark game. Mm-hmm. Where um, the um, players are basically monsters running their own dungeon and dealing with the adventurers to try to ruin everything. Nice. It's actually a lot of fun. And then opening with that, Godbound, which is an OSR game that's kind of like Exalted, but not quite. Okay. And then um, very recently, Biomune just came out on um, the video game wise. And so far, I'm really liking it, but I'm only a couple hours in so far. Okay, what was this called? Biomutants? Yeah. You oh. basically play as an anthropomorphic Muppet in a sort of fantasy kung fu land. <laughs> okay, well, that interests me. Yeah. yeah. It's a very colorful post-apocalypse type setting. Okay. And, and what system is that for? All the regulars, I assume? Or is this like a... Pretty much all of them. Um, I'm playing on Xbox, but I know it's also out on PlayStation and PC as well. All right. Very cool. Interesting. Uh, so I've been up to quite a few things since last we've gathered here. Uh, I ran a in-person playtest of Action 12 Cinema. For any of you people who thought you were going to go through a whole episode without me talking about Action 12 Cinema, <laughs> you were wrong, and you should know better. Shame on yourself. Uh, so this was kind of interesting. So my wife set this up. My wife does not role play. She got her sister, my sister-in-law, who does not role play, to get two of her friends who were quote-unquote gamers – uh, local to the area, because again, we've moved. We don't really know anybody here mm-hmm. that much because we haven't, because we moved and then COVID hit. Uh, but I didn't really know what that meant. And we set up this in-person uh, play test. So they came over, lovely people. We definitely hit it off. We're going to do more game nights with them, but they're not role players. Like they, they, that's not the type of gamers. They're, they're very much more like laid back, very social games like Sushi Go, Pictionary or telephone Pictionary, uh, you know, those are the types of games that they play, which are great. I love those games too. So we played Hanabi to start with because I didn't want to go straight into my game. Uh, and then we played The Mind after. And they really liked the game. My wife doesn't play like the game a lot. My sister did quite a lot. Uh, overall, it was a big hit, but I did learn quite a few things, sort of some assumptions that I had because so far everyone who's played it has been role players. And, you know, mm-hmm. I could use a shorthand with them because they already know role playing games. These people had no idea what any of this stuff was. So it was just like the way I explain it needed to get filtered a little differently and not necessarily directly related, but maybe just prompted from the energy I got running that game and everyone having a good time and making me really big happy uh, on my walk this week. I just had this like sort of like an epiphany for a slight modification to the game that's going to make a huge thematic difference. It it doesn't really change the way the game works at all, but it's going to feel a lot different. I think it's going to feel a lot more tied to the to the theme, which is great. So I'm really riding high on Action 12 Cinema. I'm super excited about it. Uh, I'm going to go on a vacation here in a few days for two full weeks. I've never done a two-week vacation in my life. We're going to do one. I'm going to do a complete rewrite of the rules based on this new stuff. uh, And I'm very, very excited about that. So Action 12 Cinema, definitely a big part of what's going on with me right now. Uh, Still doing the Smallville fan cast. So I'm rewatching those episodes and taking notes. We've been playing um, some online games, Chris and I, as well as some other people. We've been playing a DC uh, deck builder, the Co-op Crisis or rebirth. That's what we've been doing when you, you move things around. Um, and then just running my kids everywhere. Jacob's in soccer and in baseball. And they're both in Odyssey of the Mind. 
And they both signed up for swim, which starts next week. So it's just a lot of running, a lot of doing this, that, and the other. But it's it's all fun stuff. I get to hang with my family, so really no complaints. Uh, and then the last big thing I'll mention is what I sort of hinted at clumsily with Chris, <laughs> is we have decided we are, in fact, going to have a faculty retreat this year. Uh, we've uh, talked to uh, Jacob, who works at the hotel up in Michigan. We've got the room reserved. We're going to get a, a room rate. I think right now there's like five of us that are going to go. So it's going to be much smaller than in years past. But uh, I'm so excited about getting together with you doofuses and playing some games for a weekend. I'm really looking forward to it. And we are going to open it up to our VIP backers from the last two Catacons. I doubt anybody will go, but it'll it'll be offered. We do have room limits, so we can't let everybody go if everyone did sign up. But I'm hoping one or two more people will show up. But uh, are you excited about that, Chris? Absolutely. Now that everybody's gotten their shots and everybody's vaccinated, we can get together. Yeah, and super be- exciting. But I, also, I'm still a little nervous. You know, things could go wrong, but uh, I'm more excited than nervous. So I think it's the right decision. But yeah. I think that's plenty enough for me so we will move on and we're going to play our first improv game and this improv game is called 10 things and this is the the game where we prompt one another in turn to come up with a list of 10 things that match the prompt the idea here of the game is immediacy is more important than accuracy so 10 bad examples are actually better than 10 good examples if the bad examples come quicker so targress you are our guest tonight so would you like to go first second or third in terms of actually giving your list second second okay so chris how about you prompt me i'll prompt targus and the targus will close the lip and and prompt you all right perfect targus inspired me on this list just a second ago okay so michael give me 10 bad hair care products oh um gorilla glue in, in the news a bag of lice two uh, shoe polish. Three. Nair. Those old-timey rubber bands that, that, like, stretch and hurt when you put them in your hair and you can't ever get them out. Five. Uh, a hairbrush made out of teeth. Six. Uh, a comb made out of fingers. Seven. Uh, a dirty fingernail. Eight. Dirty water. Nine. Glass. Ten. Dead! Yay! Yay! That, in fact, was 10 things. Okay, Targris, you, my friend, give me a list of, I'm going to give you 10 role-playing games that you would like to run. Oh, God, okay. The Indie Force Edition. One. One. Pathfinder Second Edition. Two. Two. Swords of the Serpentine. Three. Promethean the Created. Four. Four. Scion. Five. Five. Adventurous Dark and Deep. Six. Six. More Fifth Edition. Seven. Seven. Blades in the Dark. Eight. Eight. Band of Blades. Nine. Nine. Scum and Villainy. Ten. Woohoo. That, in fact, was a list of ten things. All right, sir. Now uh, you're to close the loop and prompt Chris for his list, please. So while we're waiting for that, I guess we're still live. Uh, So, Chris, why don't you entertain the folks for a few minutes? All right. Well, nothing like being put on the spot. So uh, let's see here. wonder what people would like to talk about. I don't have a really thrilling life right now. So 
talk about uh, uh, up and coming movies. Oh, actually, the Eternals trailer. Rumor. Oh, rumors. Yeah. I like rumors. Uh, rumors that there is a uh, cartoon coming out, D and D themed, potentially involving Dritz. Okay. A little, a little confused on that one, but I guess we'll wait and see. I guess he's just popular enough people want to see him. Yeah. See, here's my thing about that. I. I... There are so many other characters that we could talk about. I just don't have any love for Dritz. Like, I don't dislike Dritz. I don't like the, dislike the idea of Dritz, but it's just like you couldn't come up with an original character. Like, why, why Dritz? I, I don't That's, get the need to go but to Dritz. I just thought his popularity had fallen off enough that they would have found something else to pick up on. And maybe they're tired of the video games. I mean, how many video game shows have there been that they're just tired of? I don't know. I, I think if you're going to go Forgotten Realms, go go a little dark. Go with like Cyric the Mad and show how he became a god and then fell from being a god. That would be a neat story to me if you want to go Forgotten Realms. Or any other IP from D&D. So, uh, Remy, Remy, I don't know why I can't say this, this name right tonight. Sorry, my apologies. Uh, it says it's not a rumor that uh, Benedict Cumberbatch narrated a preview of it. And uh, oh. Mystical Phoenix says that they are cautiously, cautiously optimistic and they think that Dritz just equals money. That's why they're doing it. It's one of the most po popular characters in Forgotten Realms. Okay, so there is Targris back, sort of. So the windows are now Almost. fixed back. That's good. Can you hear us, Targris? I see his avatar. I see the avatar. I think you call it that. Well, I'll call it an avatar. It's more artistic than I could do. That's for sure. Yeah. I'm struggling to write names on a little baseball bat. So that's where my artistic talent is failing me. But I will figure it out. I'm, I'm a little concerned with just doing Forgotten Realms in general. But yeah. I, I just, I don't. Don't have I don't understand the love for it. Oh, we've lost Targus again. I would be curious to see if they could do a good Eberron one. But the, because there's so much magic and if you just incorporate it into so many things, it doesn't seem like it's this weird outlandish thing. Right. So I I wonder if that would make a, a, a really neat spin on it that might pull in new people. Hey, there we are. So apparently the stream never failed, so we are still live, just uh, so you're aware. But it looks like we're all back, so thank you everyone in chat for putting up with this uh, cluster F. My apologies, again, the internet, just being <laughs> the internet in Michael's world, that's about as good as we can get. So we managed to finish up the uh, the 10 Things game. So we were sort about of. to move into what we call used books, which is usually the sort of the meat and potatoes of the the show. And this is where we're going to talk about a previous campaign that one of us played or ran. And we're going to try to mine that for some either do difference, things that went poorly that we want to try to avoid or learn from, or maybe some things that went really well. And we've tried to bring those into future games. So Targus, you are the guest tonight. What campaign would you like to talk about? So a few years back, when I was getting some of my local friends um, into some into RPGs for the first time, or some back into RPGs, and they hadn't had a sort of a long hiatus, 
I started up a Ravenloft game using Myth and Magic for the rules. Um, it was a lot of fun. And I kind of see there are kind of more or less two main ways you can run Ravenloft. You can either do it sort of a straight up horror, which I think is actually really hard to do in D&D, but can be done. Mm-hmm. Or you can more or less have horror-themed adventures more so instead. Like it's more of trappings more so than actual scares. Because especially in recent editions of D&D, players are pretty competent. It's a little harder to um, actually put them in danger. And this yeah. game more ran that. Um, I did it to where everyone got to make their character from whatever fantasy world they wanted. And we're pretty much ripped in and made a group in Ravenloft trying to band together and survive. They more or less had fun going from different domain to different domain, getting in and out of trouble, trying to find a way to escape Ravenloft. Which ultimately they did. Um, And it's a game I would love to go back to because of that, because they kind of left them off right as they escaped. And especially with... um, Van Richten's guy coming out recently. Ravenloft is very much on my brain. So, again, so trying to think about some some things that we can take away from that. So, I agree with you, and that's one of the things we talked about a little bit in our review, is I think it's hard to scare higher-level D&D characters because they have so many resources and powers and abilities that, I mean, you can certainly overwhelm them with something really more powerful, but I think in horror... One of the aspects that that you know the building of dread works better when you're lower powered. So, right? Do you think that's something just in general about horror? Like, is it possible to have a horror game if you're a superhero? And maybe it is. I just don't know that I know how to do it. I don't know that I have the skill set for that. So, what are some of the ways that you use to make? the game either dreadful or to compensate for having quote unquote D and D characters that are powerful, but still feel like you're in a scary story. I think it's harder to, um, I think it's a lot harder to do it. I'm not sure if I really do it well, but I kind of take a page from superheroes actually. And that um, if I can't put the players in danger, I'm at least going to put characters around them that are attached to in danger. Okay. Always a good option. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, which something that I'd probably do a little bit less of now is putting a lot is is kind of dancing a lot of characters and taking characters that are really attached to and putting them in danger routinely. Mm-hmm. Um, uh oh, I think we lost Targus again. I'm beginning yeah. to think it actually might not be my internet. I don't know because the stream yeah. seems to be stable, um, mm-hmm. so it's possible that it is Targus and not my stuff. But we will continue to carry on. So Chris. Um, do you have any experience running horror type stories in D and D or other RPGs? Quite a bit. Okay. I really like the horror genre. The biggest trick I've kind of learned in a way is to make the players have, uh, make the players have a feeling more that their characters could lose more than just their hit points in their life. Like the, the concept of your character could lose its soul tends to make characters less likely to jump into danger. It's not just about the health and the damage. Make them really fearful of it. Or their actions could be damaging to somebody else. That's another part of it that I like to play on. Plus, I also like to just play on some of the the stereotypic horror themes. You know, I don't get real gory, 
because gore is easy to do. Building up the suspense, I think, is a lot harder. And you have to be really big with your descriptions on things. You know, you walk into the dark room. Well, it's not just a dark room. You've got to be really good. At, it's dark and dank and it smells like mold. And you have this feeling on the back of your neck that something's just not right. And then you step in the room and you smell the rot. What do you do? You have to be a lot more descriptive with horror. You can't just be like, oh, you're in a dark room. What do you do? You don't set the tone. You don't set that feeling. You've got to really give them that creepy feeling as a player. Okay. So. Now, I know, I think, well, I'm pretty sure both of you play Shadow of the Demon Lord, which is sort yes. of like a horror fantasy game. I've played a few sessions, though I've always played it lower level, like even the starting zero level, which again takes mm -hmm. that power aspect away. Have either of you played that game at higher level? And have any experience with keeping the horror feeling, even though, again, in that game, you still have powerful characters that you want to touch on. Uh, Targris, since, since you're here, we'll start with you. All right. Um, I've actually run two full-length Shadow Dealer campaigns, so from level 0 to 10. And while some character builds can end up being pretty competent, it's, you, you start presented with a toolkit to make the world pretty dangerous and oppressive regardless. Okay. Um, and going out with descriptions, it's really easy to reflavor monsters in that game in particular to be really, really nasty, gross, and otherwise make the players just sort of cringe encountering them. Yep. Like, my games of that tend to do rate to, if I, if I were to get them a rating, it'd be like hard R because I tend to go mm -hmm. all in with making things gross. <laughs> Well, having had a chance to play a couple sessions with Rob himself, uh, who is going to be a guest on detention in the future, uh, mm. he seems to lean into the groats and the grotesque and the gore. He really does. To to sort of compensate for, yes, your characters are powerful or more powerful than maybe your typical, you know, horror story protagonists. But when they're being chased by just a truly revoltingly disgusting monster like that. But my fear and what I even experienced is that if you go overboard in those descriptions, it seems to turn the game to humorous than horror. Like, I think there's a line yeah. to walk where it gets to an absurd level and it's, and you're going to die. Cause if you play in a game with Rob, you're pretty much going to die. Uh, but I'm very well aware, <laughs> but it's funny, not horror. At that point, I don't, and again, I don't know that I have the talent to walk that line or not. I, th I think you just described the original Nightmare on Elm Street movie versus part six or whatever they're up to. Yes. It just gets comical. Um, Pretty I, much, I agree yeah. With that. Higher levels with building that horror, I kind of like the higher levels because you can start bringing out some of the bigger, badder demons and stuff like that you're not going to pull out a big demon at a low-level character. A, there's no incentive for the demon to go after a low-level character because they're not going to get any power from them. So they're not going to try to talk to them. And B, the players are just going to run. Oh my God, it's a bone demon. It's This is CR 8 and we're 2. We're out of here. <laughs> so it's nice to pull out some of those higher-level creatures and play around with that. That's where I also start really tempting the players. That's where you're going to throw the devil in or a devil i should say and try to convince them to start hey i'll give you this in return you know i just need to do a favor for me 
well, you don't want that favor is to later. And then you hit him with it. And they're like, oh, my God. I can't believe I just sold half my soul to the devil and the other half to a demon. Now they're going to fight over me. And I'm stuck in the middle. You know, those are interesting games to me. Actually, close to how the start of my first Shadow of the campaign went. <laughs> I gave them, I gave them access to quick power, and one of the players really took advantage of it. And I was keeping a tally of everything he was asking for. I was like, okay, well, the demon has that now, and that now. I think that's part of it too. Shadow of the Demon Lord does it really well. You have corruption score in that game. You uh-huh. do bad things, your soul gets corrupted. You hit nine corruption. Your body cannot physically hold that much corruption anymore, and you die. That forces players to make better choices. It forces them to think about tough situations. It's the old, what was it, the movie Speed? Shoot the hostage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> shoot the hostage. Well, you, shoot, yeah, you shoot the hostage, and the DM might be like, okay, that's one point of corruption. Or do you take the chance to shoot the bad guy? Like, that can build a little more tension in the scene. Not most players are going to shoot the hostage and not worry about it. Or they're going to go, oh, I'm such and such character. I can pull this magic shot off. As a game master, that we have to make the decision. How much penalty do I want to give him? How much more difficult do I want to make it? Or do I let him succeed? You know, it's, it's the theme, theme that you're trying to capture in that game is what you have to look at. Yeah, and if it's a horror game, you're going to swing more towards the gritty awfulness. If it's heroic, you're going to be like, sure, you can make that shot. You're the hero. Absolutely. Uh, quickly, want to say thank you to uh, Remy for actually gifting him a sub. He, he gifted it specifically to Tom. So thank you, Tom, for subbing to the channel. But thank you, Remy, more for <laughs> gifting that sub. Um, nice. So I think, and this is one of the things where, as a younger game master, whenever I tried to run a horror type of game, I was trying to freak out my players. And I do think there's still value in that. And I think that lends itself to what specifically what Chris was saying earlier about the way you describe things and you lean into the unknown. But one of the things that I thought the Ravenloft book did pretty well is it talks about the game is about horror for the characters and that goes to buy-in. I think Remy talked about that in chat a little bit earlier is saying, we're going to play a horror game. Your characters are going to be afraid and I'm going to do my best to make you feel a little uncomfortable and we'll try to make you feel kind of scared at times, but it doesn't matter if I scare you or not. The idea is that our characters are going to be afraid. So there, one of my classic Michael techniques is to lean into the resource in the table. And you can do things like you walk into a room and you see something truly terrifying, something that shakes you to your core. What is it? Like I may not be able to come up with the most descriptive thing in the t- in the world, but what is it that your character is afraid of? Because that is what you see, something your character is afraid of. And then you let them supply you with nightmare fuel of this, that, or the other, and let them just describe that what they see. And then again, you write those things down and go, okay, this is what terrified them. Then next time, maybe I do that description instead uh, there's some things in the Ravenloft book, and this isn't an, an advertisement for the book, but some things I think did well is you have uh, fear seeds, which are kind of like phobias in a way, like you set up in advance mm-hmm. things that your character would be afraid of. And it could be typical like spiders. It could be drowning. So in a game where water spiders 
um, are, are a thing, then maybe that's what brings out that fear seed to your character. Uh, you know, and you play that off and say, okay, you said your character had a fear seed in regarding drowning. You just had to dive into this old rickety well to save the child, which turns out to be a demon, not a kid anyways. So let's spend a few <laughs> minutes talking about how your character feels right now. And, and I think that's, you know, I think taking the time to let your character sit in these things that could be making them fearful is important. And it's something that I probably didn't do well as a younger DM. I think we all have that problem. Yeah. Like, like everybody, when they think horror wants to go extreme, everybody wants to have the alien chest burster come out yeah. and spray everybody with blood. And you're like, Hey, isn't that cool? And you're everybody else is like, eh, it's kind of gross. <laughs> or you want the jump scare. Like, you know, it's like, right. you know, like you're trying to set up it. Cause you know, a lot of us movies are a, a media source that we're familiar with and there's horror movies that we enjoy and we're trying to emulate and duplicate a horror movie. And it's a, it's just a different medium. And I think if you're trying to set up the scary, again, there might be people who do it well, certain people who can do it better than I can, but I think that's a misstep for most of us is trying to set up a jump scare because I don't think jump scares work well in D&D. Maybe, maybe other games, maybe they do. Maybe, it's, again, I just don't, don't do them well, but I've not done them well myself. So I, I try to, now I try not to, to do that. I try to, to lean into the slow pacing and the the dread of, what we don't know yet and what might it be. And and again, if you, if you slow down, your players will start to fill in those gaps for you. Just like I've said many, many times, if you, you know, you listen to what your players are saying and they're like, Oh, I'm pretty sure that the mayor is actually the person behind everything. And then you steal that because it's better than what you had originally. If you slow the pacing down, and start to build the dread, the players are going to say, oh, my God, I think, oh, is it, you know, is it this? Is it that? And then you just take whatever the, the best option was. Uh, you know, going back to if anyone's listened or watched Stranger Things recently, that opening, I think, first or second episode where they're playing D&D and all the players are like, oh, my God, it's the Demigorgon. Oh, my God, it's the Demigorgon. So, of course, it was a Demigorgon, but maybe it wasn't. I don't know. I don't know what kind of DM um, Michael is, but I bet that there might've been a couple options and the Demigorgon was one of them. And because they were so afraid of the Demigorgon, that's the one they go with. Yeah. That's my thoughts as well. Yeah. I've only successfully pulled off a jump scare a couple of times and I did the same trick. They were you know, in the haunted mansion. And as they were going from room to room, I kept describing things a little slower and kept getting a little quieter. So the players kind of started leaning towards me. And then they get to the one room and then I slammed my hand down on the table. And so the door slammed shut and they all, you know, jumped up and they all were like, ah, you. And I was like, ah, see, I slowed it down. You leaned in. I, I wouldn't want to go to that well very often because you never know when you're going to, somebody's going to take a drink and it's going to end up in your face instead. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Ruined your nice new table or your, your yeah. alt cover book laying, lying there open gets Kool-Aid all over it. Yeah, I, I agree, though, that building up that tension is the hardest part of horror. And it does take the right table. I think it, it takes really... the right table. I, I think props, which I, I'm a fan of props, but I don't do them a whole lot. But I think horror specifically is the genre where props maybe can really shine. So the thing like having goblets of red Kool-Aid that, you know, looks sort of like blood, maybe turning the lights down a little bit lower than you normally would so that it is a little darker and the room that you're in maybe feels a little smaller. 
uh, maybe trying to use some music cues in the background or just some like ambiance music, like a crow calling in the background or the sounds of like a storm or even just like wind swept, like the sea pounding, uh, you know, the waves pounding on the on there can just sort of set a tone and a mood that might be a little harder to get to otherwise. I, I think those are fun, and I just think horror might be the the genre to go for it. And you can even do the thing where, like, like the the foodie stuff, and I know we got a couple people on the um, on the chat right now who are really good at cooking or into that, you know, making, mm-hmm. like, the finger foods that look like actual fingers or, like, a cake that looks like a, a bloated face. Or bloated body, you know, which is gruesome but funny, but this kind of sets the mood for your players going in that maybe, uh, you know, your normal pizza might not do. But I don't know. Uh, to go back to Targa, so anything else that anything else you've done well or has been successful that you would advise people maybe who are trying to run horror games could do? Actually, I want to re- re- I think I want to re- re- reiterate um, the buy-in's really a big deal. Like, um. When I watch scary movies, my husband hates watching the movie because I will deliberately sort of let all my guard down. I will, I kind of embrace being jump scared or having something creepy happen. Um, and having that sort of attitude and buy-in as a player makes a big difference. Tapping that as a GM. I had a second thought, but it, it just walked away from me. Uh, well, oh, I, was, I, I just mentioned them. The problem thing even. Um, that's probably even... Beyond that, a good idea, and just in that, um, for example, Chris Estrade was one of the earlier adventure paths for a 5e, and um, they make a big deal of the Taroka deck in it. Which, when I ran that with my players, we actually made a big to do out of pulling the cards out and actually going ahead and um, rolling them out, pulling the cards, letting them see it, see what's on the face of the card, know what kind of creepy thing that might turn into later. Kind of helps set the tension before it's coming, before it's coming up. Mm-hmm. One of the it's in the book. It's actually pretty cheap. To be honest, it wasn't wasn't a big fan of. Um, but they have the spirit board, the spirit board, and the planchette, which it's basically a Ouija board. But it's the you know it's the mm-hmm. yep. Ravenloft theme one. You know that might be a fun prompt or prop that to have at the table to have the players use it. Uh, but it have some sort of reference in game. I don't particularly believe that those things actually do anything. I've, <laughs> I've never used one myself, so I can't say. But my understanding is it's whether purposeful or maybe subconscious. It's the people using the planchette board that kind of make it move. But, you know, if you have everyone on board buying in, but you're playing this at the table, but what happens references the character... <laughs> then it doesn't matter. You know, you could have players who are moving things around trying to create a bad situation that the players in turn will have to deal with. That's, to me, a pretty good marriage of metagaming to gaming, you know, almost like a dread game sort of thing where it's like what we're doing in the real world references and impacts the characters then great. Let's let's maybe try that. So that could be a fun thing to use as well, mm-hmm. you know, as long as everyone is on board with that. Because I know some people actually do believe in those things and maybe might not want to use a, a spirit board. But as long as everyone's okay with it, if it's just good, harmless fun, then that's something else that I would advise maybe you try out as well. Um, all right. So, Chris, one more time. Anything else? Just general horror advice or examples or, uh, you know, experiences you've had you want to talk about? I just embrace it, have fun, do some research as well. And, and like you said, talk to your players. I will a lot of times ask them questions about 
how deep do they want to go in the horror versus mythology versus religion because a lot of good horror can come from old religious i you know text and stuff like that in stories so i will use that a lot to my advantage as well because that can be really creepy again the angels and demons can be very creepy depending upon how you present them mm-hmm. uh and i would just say again make sure we're always keeping everybody safe and i don't think chris was not advocating no, that so th- tools, yeah no, yeah no. this is not in response to that just the, it just sort of hit me that you know we we want to play with our fears because it's fun but when you're watching a movie, there's that there's still a sense of safety that I like, you know, to Tigress's point, I'm going to let my guard down. I'm going to enjoy these scares. But at the end of this movie, I can turn it off and I'm in my house, you know, and I feel safe and protected with my animals and my husband or my, my you know spouse around me, whatever the case may be. Um, but I don't ever want my players to feel any more right. uncomfortable than they sign up for. So just, you know, be aware of that. Use your safety tools, use your mm-hmm. check-ins. The point is to have fun, and it's fun to be scared, partly because we know that it's temporary. It's not truly something that's going to get us. All right. So right. with that, we're going to move on. We're going to move into what is, for some reason, most people's favorite part of the game or the show. And this is the Where Have My Fingers Been game, where we are going to once again prompt each other in turn to act out a short scene involving two or maybe more characters uh that we will finger puppet through this short scene targus once again you are the the guest tonight so would you want to go first second or third in acting out the short scene i will go second again okay second again this time though we will uh switch up the order so i will prompt chris chris first chris will then prompt you and then you will prompt me to close the circle all right so chris go ahead and sing the song uh, where have my fingers been? I said, where have my fingers been? Your fingers are about to watch a scary movie. Really? Another one? It's the third scary one that we've watched today. I love them. You'll love them. You'll learn to love them. Can I have your soul? What was that? Nothing. <laughs> nothing, 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 nothing at all. Just, just let's, this, this is my favorite movie. It's about the devil. What? It's about what? The devil. <laughs> My dad. I mean, not my dad. I didn't say that. No, no. Just watch the movie, please. Okay. Is this where he gets eaten? No. Not yet. Can I have your soul? What? No. No, no, nothing. 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 Just watch the movie. I'm out of here. You're weird. And that's where my fingers are back. Yay! Fantastic. All right. Chris, you will prompt Targris, please. But Targris, um, you have to start by singing the song, of course. Yes. All right. Where have my fingers been? Where have my fingers been? Uh, your first fencing lesson. Okay, so um, I just, I pick it up and I block, right? Yes. What? Yes. Um, shouldn't you be giving me a, a lesson or something? No, life is pain. You must fight. <laughs> um, this is a beginner class. No. Uh, Horrible things in the February 101. You got through it. Yay. Yep. Fantastic. All right. And now, of course, Targos, you will prompt me. Where have my fingers been? I said, where have my fingers been? All right. You are both lost in the library. You've been there for an hour now. I, I feel like we've crossed this way before. I, I know what you mean, but it's 
kind of weird because like there's a big stack of books and you turn around, there's a big stack of books and there's the hallway, there's a big stack of books. I know, but I've been paying attention and I'm pretty sure that that book is on uh, Australian bird mating rituals. And I, I'm almost positive that I've seen that book before, but the last time it was on my left and this time it's on my right. So I don't know that we're going in the right way, but now that I've marked that book, you, you really just want to read that book, don't you? I kind of do. I mean, we've been here for like an hour, but we came to the library to find a book on Australian bird mating rituals, and it's right there. <sighs> Fine. Okay, let's, let's take five, and let's just, let's just check that book out. And then, ooh, it is the spirit of the... Ah! And that's where my fingers died of ghost scare. <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs> All right, so with that, we're going to move into cryptozoology, and this is the part of the show where we talk about a monster, usually from D&D, but not always, and we talk about some interesting ways we could have used, we might have used that monster in the past, and we think about maybe brainstorm some ways that we could use this same monster in the future. Targris, you are the guest tonight, and you have brought us a monster I have never even heard of before, despite the fact that I have played and ran some 13th Age, so please tell everyone what monster we're going to talk about. We are going to talk about the Koru Behemoths. The Koru Behemoths. So what is this creature, this beast? These are exceptionally large um, creatures. They're kind of ambiguously defined in 13th Age, because lots of things are ambiguously defined in 13th Age. Um, they are basically somewhere between mountain and island-sized. They migrate all around the Dragon Empire, which is sort of the de sort of default setting for 13th Age. and Basically, they um, are their own sort of terrain and adventure location all on their own. So they're almost less monster and more force of nature slash destination. Hold on one second. I'm just throwing something in the chat. My, uh, my stream health sim uh, like indicator just went from green to red. It looks like it's back to green now, so I think we're okay. But for a second there, I was worried that we were losing the stream. So basically, these are just like enormously large creatures and yes. you know from D, D, I think of like dragon turtles is a thing uh so are they on par with that bigger smaller so um bigger um so in the, for, the, for the 13th age druid one of the character options is a terrain caster which you get spells from the various from your drains so caves forest mountains, that sort of thing. And Coral Behemoths are their own terrain. And in that book, they happen to include sort of a photo of the, uh, of the Coral Behemoth, but they have a terrace beside it for scale. The terrace is kind of, you know, one of the quintessential giant D&D monsters, and it is basically about to be stepped on in the photo. So, scale-wise, they are unbelievably big. Isn't there, and you have to refresh my memory, it's been a while since I've read it. In 13th Age, don't they have a, a path that they've followed? They have a migratory age? path that covers a good chunk of the map, it also goes well off of it. But they run uh, along mountains, along deserts, along volcanoes, and cross the ocean at one point. Yeah, and wasn't there something to so, do with cities being built in the footprints of the behemoths? There are cities on them, no cities on the actual path. In fact, in general, things tend to not live on the path because, well, right. every now and then a mountain comes by. 
Eh, it'll so be fine. my initial thought here is this is probably not something that you try to hit with a stick till it dies. So have you used these creatures as an encounter in one of your games? And so how did you, like, was this something like a force of nature that has to be reckoned with? Or, or you know, what was your thought process? I've probably used them more as a location or in part a MacGuffin. Um, my favorite use of them I've done in the game is I did a um, high-level one-shot with 13th Age where everyone got to make a 10th level character. They're all retired heroes coming out dealing with a problem. In this case, it's going to be the last Tarask. And I posited that for this one-shot and this Ticket of the Dragon Empire, Tarasks are actually parasitic lifeforms that um, grow inside of Coral Behemoths. Interesting. Like so that. I had the players running around. So I had the players running around grabbing the MacGuffins they needed to try to fight a Tarask before it hatched inside of a Behemoth's heart. Oh. And got to have the excuse of actually having the big kind of final battle taking place in the actual giant heart of the behemoth itself. That would be unique, because you'd hear the, feel the heartbeat, but it would be, I imagine, very slow. Yeah, I, I, I basically had it as sort of a large open chamber full of fluid, where at the bottom there was a little sort of terrestrial ground huh. growing, little being very um, subjective there. So yeah. All right, so I'm going to assume, Chris, that you've never used one of these creatures before. Uh, But one, have you ever used anything in a Star Wars or any other game you've ran that is sort of comparable, like these really larger-than-life, massive, you know, island-sized creatures um, leading into, do you have any ideas on how you could use something like that in a game? I've never used one before, but I remember when I was playing uh, 13th Age, we talked about having a whole adventure based in there. And what we were actually looking at doing was being traveling merchants. But the idea wasn't you were just playing one character, you were actually going to be playing a family because they don't move very fast. So to go from city to city on the map can take time. So we were playing this whole adventure on the back of the behemoth. That was the idea was. We never actually played it, but you, you'd merchant there, go to one city, sell some cool wares, then your children would be selling stuff in the next city was the idea. Okay. So it'd be a lot of time jumps. Mm-hmm. And the idea was on the back of the behemoth, technology actually advances slower because there's not as much trade of information. So the idea is you get to a new city and all of a sudden there's people on these magical devices with these wheels that they can propel with their feet somehow. And your characters are all fascinated by this new technology. It was a neat idea. We never actually got around to it, but something we toyed that around with. That sounds fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was a movie not too long ago. I know. I think it was based on an IP. I'm not familiar with it. I think Peter Jackson did it about these giant cities that like moved. And I think that's, um, I heard it wasn't very good. I didn't see it. But uh, the, sort of the idea of that too is you have these huge, massive creatures that are so large that you build your cities on them or you build civil, you know, uh, settlements on them, that kind of thing. But I think, like, my my first initial thought with using something like this is, like, the very first time I used, uh, or I, I used, I went to the ocean. I don't consider myself a spiritual person. I'm not a religious person. But I think the closest I ever came to a religious epiphany was the first time I saw the ocean and I realized how inconsequential I was. Just standing there on the beach, 
seeing the massiveness of the ocean. And, and it just happened like there, it wasn't a crowded beach. I was pretty much there, like my parents were with me. But for the moment, I sort of stepped forward. It was almost like it was just me facing the ocean. And I'm like, I'm meaningless. <laughs> like, like my desires in this world mean nothing. So I kind of like translating that to this sort of the behemoth that no matter what level our characters are, coming across a behemoth like this isn't anything other than, oh, I I have no power to influence this creature. I'm at most a minor inconvenience. So I think the sort of classic idea is that something has changed their migration patterns or something is is changing, almost like climate change in sort of a way that if we don't fix this problem, these behemoths are going to start you know, they're going to move 13 miles to the west, and then you pull out your map and go, oh no, that destroys like 14 cities. You know, there's millions of people in, in harm's way. So we've got to fix this problem so that, you know, the behemoths aren't really, they're they're the inciting incident. They're the, the MacGuffin, as it were, to force the characters into doing another thing. That's probably cheating a little bit, but I do like the idea of having some sort of larger than life in this case you know truthfully larger than life thing that is forcing the characters to do something else and maybe even something that isn't necessarily like good you know they're 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 like having to do this other thing that's kind of bad because not doing it would be worse in this particular case i don't i know i'm speaking kind of in circles there but does that make sense mm-hmm. it does okay how important they're, they're, they're big they're forces of, they're forces of nature they're, um, and you're beyond bug size to them Mm-hmm. And I, I also like to think, like, is there more to them than we realize? You know, do they serve a greater purpose? Is their movement tied to some other event that, you know, maybe one of them dies of natural co- of old age as it's walking? And now you have literally a mountain that's not supposed to be there, but it is. It blocks trade routes. You know, again, I'm just thinking about that evergreen ship that blocked the Suez was a Suez Canal for like a week. Like if one of yeah. those, you know, gets in a trade route and collapses, it's going to disrupt the you know uh, the flow of government and commerce. And 13th Age is probably a little bit more like advanced, but that could work. Or just it's you know it cropland or whatever the case, or just some like powerful wizard is like it's on my lawn. I need you to move this. This dead thing's <laughs> on my lawn. And so you're out trying to move, you know, the archmage yells at you because he wants to play golf and he can't. Uh, that's the first thing that comes to my mind about trying to use these creatures because, you know, hitting it with swords, I just don't think it's fun at all. No, they're, they're, they're not really, they're, so they're kind of cheap because they're not really baddies for in a fight. They're, so you, like, they're not statted out in any way, shape, or form in the books. Mm-hmm. I think the closest you get to that is they give you like some prompts for what I think five of them might be and leave you to define what the rest might be. Which is really what Thirteenth Age does in general with everything. They give you a few, a few, a few ideas and then ask ask you to go ahead and take it and run with it. Yeah, which is one of the things that I do really enjoy about Thirteenth Age. I, I obviously I like that system quite a lot. Um, is there anything about them having a language? Do they communicate with each other? Do they communicate uh, outside of themselves? Like, is that something that's covered in, in any of the, the lore? Not really. I think they could. Not, at least not any that I read. Um, the closest is that they, they definitely do have give the idea that some of them do have personalities. Like, um, I think one of the example ones has devotees of the white dragon on its back, which in 13th Age, the white dragon's dead. It's one of those sort of sad things. 
these are the quintessential big white dragons no longer in the world. And he, he has cultists that have colonized the back of this behemoth and are trying to sort of take over in, in worship and reverence. And it lets you know that this behemoth does not, A, does not mind them, apparently, but absolutely hates dragons. So any white dragons that attempt to help out actually get chased away. Which you can either, again, that's where we're prompt to run away. You could say maybe, you know, okay, um, these cultures are only here because they're all actually really scared of white dragons, and this is the only safe place to act cool and act like you like dragons. And the dragons won't mess with you. Right. Yeah. All right. Uh, anything else from you, Chris? Any other ideas on how you might use something like this? Oh, I was just thinking with what he just said um, with the white dragons, you could have a sudden earthquake in your area. And it's just because a bunch of white dragons have decided to attack the behemoth who's fighting back. And, you know, he's pounding his feet down on the ground, which is causing an earthquake. So now the players have to come up and help the behemoth fight off the white dragons and not get stomped on at the same time or get caught in an avalanche or whatever other obstacles you want to put in their way. Which 13th Age has got some good mechanics for dealing with that stuff. Yeah. I think the, so the last idea would also be sort of the, the opposite of, you know, wanting to keep them from changing their route. Maybe you try to change their route to do a thing. Like there is a evil swamp, you know, of necromancy. And you're like, you know what? If we could get this behemoth just to walk through it, that would solve all of our problems. Not realizing it would probably create more than that, but just like trying to find a way, whether it's, again, my thought now is that you dress up like a giant dragon like a, like a big paper mache dragon and you get it to chase you so that it turns, it goes off its path, but then you get it back on the right path. So you don't like destroy the entire ecosystem, but that could be a fun thing. Like how do we get this behemoth just to go one mile to the left for like three miles and then go right back where it's supposed to be. And that could be a really fun. It's all role play. There's like no mechanics behind. It's like, you know, it's like the montage uh, little rascal show. Just like, let's try this. And you have a little montage of them trying to act like a dragon. That didn't work. Yeah. And then you have this, you know, just all the different crazy things they can try to do for uh, for one session. And then it works at the end because, but then it doesn't actually do what they thought it would do. And so the next session, you still got to go fight the lich anyways. Uh, but that could be fun. I think that would be cool. <laughs> all right. Targers, anything else from you? Um, I really hope my players don't actually hear that because next time I run a game, they'll want to do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for playing our reindeer games tonight. I really appreciate it. Uh, sorry for anyone listening for our internet problems. It seems like we're okay now. Uh, this will be an audio only release later. So if anyone, you know, if it was too bad, maybe you can catch it there. Uh, but we like to end the show as we always do with our audience Q&A. We have several people hanging out with us and chat's been pretty active. I really appreciate that. So if you have any questions for me, for Chris, for Targus, doesn't have to be role play game related, but it kind of makes sense that it would be. Uh, we reserve the right not to answer any questions if uh, they don't really fit into what we want to talk about. But uh, for more or less, it's an open uh, open forum to ask anything you want. We'll try our best to talk about it. Uh, there's a little bit of a delay, maybe even more so tonight than usual. So while we're waiting for any uh, lag to catch up, let's go around the room, tell everybody where they can find us if they want to interact with us on the Internet. So Targus, you're our guest. Where can people find you if they want to chat with you online? Um, I do a lot of chatting on the RPG on the RPG Academy Discord. I also hang out on the RPG Talk Discord, unrelated. And I am Targus on Twitter as well, where I talk about basically all the various nerdy things I like in the world. 
and try to not despair too much about the world at the same time. All right. And that is uh, T-A-R-G-R-U-S? That is right. I spend most of my time pretending to be an orc on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> well, we all have to have hobbies, right? All right. And again, once again, thank you for joining us tonight. Chris, where can people find you? Thank you. Uh, Twitter's easiest, Berlu underscore Chris. Uh, I'm on a couple different discords with uh, RPG Academy or The Redemption, the other show I'm involved in. Um, otherwise, wave at me as you pass my house someday, which might be creepy. <laughs> yeah, that would be a horror story. Yeah. All right. And then, of course, my name is Michael. Everything I do can be found at the RPG Academy, except for Farm to Fable, which is my Smallville Fancast Rewatch podcast, which is getting close to, to hitting season three. Uh, so come find me at the RPG Academy on Twitter and do consider joining our Discord. If you enjoy anything that we talked about here tonight, I like there's no like there's no monetary situation with people joining the Discord, but it truly is my favorite way to interact with people right now. Like I, I spend more time mm -hmm. having you know, insightful conversations with people I enjoy talking to on Discord and anything else. I have more followers on Twitter, on Twitter, but like I throw out a prompt and I might get three people to respond to it. But if I post something in Discord, I'm going to get a, you know, not only am I going to get a response, but I'm going to get like a good response. It's not just someone else like trying to tag themselves or get something. It's just like they actually answer the questions. Um, all right. So we have a question. Uh, thank you very much, Remy, for uh, asking. Hey. Oyster, penguin, or goldfish crackers on chili? And this is, if you were in the Discord, you know what this is about. Uh, so I guess, what is your favorite uh, or the only true option if you have to pick oyster, penguin, or goldfish crackers to put on chili? Goldfish. Targris. I've never heard of penguin crackers. I've also but, never heard of penguin crackers, so I would go with oyster of those three because I don't know what Oyster is the one I would go with, yeah. All right, so us that. ignorant schlobs went with that one. Uh, Mumfrey99 also, or 999, sorry, asked a question specifically for Chris. Your uh -oh. Shadow Demon Lord actual play was really good. Uh, any plans on getting back to that or a similar themed game? Um, yes, we've played some since everything shut down. Uh, we're looking at it. It's just with the pandemic and the way life is right now, it's very hard for us to match schedules. Um, what most people don't know is I'm in Michigan. Michael's an hour south of me, but Danny and John are on the East Coast. So sometimes it's hard to match up our schedules, but we are working at getting back to it. I would like to because I really want to know what's going to happen to poor Terrell. I know where he's at now. And he's not in a good place. Of course, his goal of taking over the, well, everything is still in his mind. But we'll see. All right. Well, thank you uh, both for the questions. We'll we'll wait just a couple more seconds. Again, if anyone else has any questions, I'm happy to answer them. If not, we will sign off here and get back to our lives. Um, so one more time, Targus, where can people find you online? Targus on Twitter, T-A-R-G-R-U-S. Excellent. And Chris? Uh, Twitter, Berlu underscore Chris. Fantastic. Uh, so this show is Detention Live. It happens every other week on Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern Time on the intermittent interval, whatever, the other Wednesdays. Tom, who's been hanging out with us in chat, I don't know if he's still here, uh, runs a Ghost of Saltmarsh game, though I've been told it's so far off book it really shouldn't be called that anymore. And uh, <laughs> they're going to try to play a full 1 to 20 campaign, and that book wasn't designed for it, so of course they were going to get off book eventually. And on the same weeks that we do this show, on Tuesdays, we usually run a 13th Age game called Shadow Spawns, 
had to miss last night because of a family thing. Uh, so that's also every other week. And then I'm going on vacation starting June 4th for two weeks. So there's going to be a gap where there won't be any detention or any shadow spawns, but we're going to pick right back up uh, where we can. Uh, so no other questions came in. So I think we'll call it there. Gentlemen, thank you both so much for hanging out with me tonight. I really appreciate it. Targus, uh, you especially for jumping in kind of last minute. Our regularly scheduled guest wasn't able to make it and you volunteered. You did wonderful. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Uh, and Thanks Chris, as always, uh, you know, you're my stalwart co-host. Couldn't do this without you. Uh, so we will do the awkward wave out. Thanks, everybody. And hopefully we'll see you in a couple weeks or four, I guess, for me. Bye. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast. We do this show out of love for the hobby and the desire to be ambassadors, welcoming more people into this community. All of our website content will always be free to use and utilize. But there are expenses related to the show, and if you enjoy what we do here, then please consider supporting us in some way. You can do so as simply as rating or reviewing us on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. If you're going to purchase anything through Amazon or DriveThruRPG, consider using our affiliate links first, and then we'll get a small percentage sent back to us. You can do a single direct donation through PayPal using the paypal.me slash therpgacademy. Or consider joining our Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash the RPG Academy. And for a donation as low as $1 a month, you'll get access to lots of extra goodies, including bonus minisodes, invites to monthly one-shot games, one-sheet adventures, and more. Please consider following us on Twitter and Facebook, or join our Discord, where we like to try to keep the conversation going with our fans as best we can, and are always looking to talk and chat more. Or do none of that. Just continue to listen and enjoy our show. Because honestly, that's enough. Thanks. And remember, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. We'll see you next time. The music used for our intro and outro is Fly a Kite by Spectacular Sound Productions, used under the Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike License.